Welcome, welcome friends. It's Weird Compendium 10. This is the furthest we have gone into any compendium or series, I would say. 10. 10. I probably will have to stop there. I mean, Weird Compendium 11 would be a little extra, wouldn't it? Yes, well. Ooh la la, ah wee wee. So it is nice to see you here. Saturday morning, at least for me. I'm calling this the morning as I adjust slightly. On the West Coast, it is 10 a.m. But some of you may be watching on replay. You don't care about any of that. So what are we doing today? We're talking Weirwood Compendium 10. We're building off of Weirwood Compendium 9, which we did about a week ago. And, uh, yeah, we can't start, of course, without saying rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. Uh, great human, great human being, great actor, touched a lot of people's lives. Everyone is kind of in mourning right now. Again, if you're watching this on a replay, recording this basically the morning after the news has come down. And my timeline is definitely pretty much all Chadwick Boseman this morning. Uh, it's pretty clear the guy touched a lot of people's lives. Pretty amazing person. So I won't go on and on, but definitely just wanted to start by saying thank you to Mr. Bozeman for all his work and condolences to his family and everyone else out there who is grieving today. And with that said, we're here to do a little mythology and symbolism, a little weird compendium 10. We're continuing to talk about uh, astral projection and the idea of flying and all that stuff. Um, winged horses. We've So we've already broken this subject open a little bit. And by the way, if you're newer to the channel and you want to catch up quickly, I did a Weirwood's Magic and Lore stream a couple of weeks ago, just kind of like a summary of the first eight Weirwood Compendium episodes. Also, you could just say it's a summary of my Weirwood headcanon. And uh, then we did Weirwood Compendium 9 last week, uh, Shamanic Thunder Horse. And today, basically, we're picking up right where we left off with more astral projection stuff. So if you want to support the program, you can, of course... Send in a super chat through YouTube. Uh, if you have a larger donation or you would just want to make sure I get 100% of your donation, paypal.me slash mythicalastronomy is the easy way to do that. You can sign up for Patreon to do a monthly donation. That's, of course, the most stalwart way to support. And, uh, yeah, let's get started. Oh, thanks, Morley. Love your videos, especially about the Weirwoods. Well, you'll be happy today then. We're going to do some trippy stuff. As you can see, I got a picture of Drogon for this uh, for this title. And Drogon and Danny are the stallion who mounts the world. But we're still talking about Greenseer stuff. As you've seen with Danny's chapters in the Dothraki Sea, a lot of it is about Greenseer stuff. So it's going to be more of that today. And this is kind of exciting because we're going to... I get asked a lot, how did Azor High break the moon? How did any human magician steer a comet into a moon or cause a moon to crack or anything like that? How do human beings reach up into the heavens and mess with stuff? Or was it just coincidence? Did Azor High just take credit for breaking the moon You know, because he knew it was going to happen or he saw it happen? And, I mean, that's obviously the easy human explanation. But this is fantasy, as you know. And so it's fun to entertain the idea that magicians can actually cause long nights and steer comets and things like that. And 
basically we've got two potential mechanisms for steering comets, if you will. One is the weirwoods, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The other one is the idea of the horns. And we're going to mention the horns a little bit in passing, uh, but the, the horns will get their own episode at some point. I don't even know if that'll be weirwood compendium or just an episode about how horns can bring the doom. But of course, dragon binder is said to call dragons and bind dragons, but comets and meteors can also be dragons. So maybe dragon binder or maybe some other magical horn calls meteor dragons. And then when you have the Horn of Jorman, it's supposed to wake giants in the earth, which is code for earthquake, or it's supposed to cause the wall to fall. These are equally cataclysmic events that could obviously be tied to a meteor impact to a long night disaster. So the horns are strongly implied as powerful magic weapons that could potentially bring on some components of the long night. So that's what we're talking about today. We are talking about symbolism and Greenseer stuff. But there is actually a fundamental question underneath all of this, which is, how did Azor High cause the Long Night with magic? How does one use magic to steer comets? And also, uh, where are Danny and Bran's story arcs headed? So, hey guys, it's LML, and I'm back to squeeze in Weirwood Compendium 10 before the end of the month. Real life has been very hectic recently, and it's kept me away from you for the last couple of weeks, but I got up early this morning... To make you guys some myth head breakfast. I guess it's maybe brunch. For those of you on the East Coast, it's one o'clock. You can eat brunch at one o'clock. I'm from San Francisco and we eat breakfast until like three, at least. In any case, thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Thanks to everyone who likes and shares the videos, of course. And thanks to all of you who subscribed to the channel recently. We've got a lot of growth. Feels great. It's really, like I said, it makes me, fuels my fires, makes me want to keep going. Uh, makes me feel like we're getting somewhere. So thanks all of you. And like I said, the Weirwood Magic and Lore video is good summary of the Weirwood Compendium stuff if you're not up on that. Um, and if you get a little lost in this episode, you can go back for Weirwood Compendium 9 and the Weirwood Magic and Lore. Uh, but that said, it's time for our trippiest episode yet, folks. That's right. Although there was that three-hour Rhymes and Riddles of Patchface the Fool live stream from a couple of Halloweens ago. This one's going to be trippy, though. So by now, I've gotten to know some of you listeners and Patreon supporters, and I know you guys are a clever bunch. So when you hear me talking about a horse, which allows a rider to travel the universe, like Sleipnir, or like Yggdrasil being Odin's horse, you're probably thinking of the phrase, the stallion who mounts the world. Maybe you thought of that last time in Weirwood Compendium 9, when we are talking about all this idea of a, a horse that mounts, you know, that enables astral projection, enables one to travel the realms. And, uh, oh, hey, thanks, Daniel Ross, shouting out the, the previous Super Chat. That's always good. Thanks for the support, guys. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I missed you. I really shouldn't even be live streaming right now. We're in the middle of a move, but I missed you guys too much, so I had to do a little something-something. So now, like I said, you might have been thinking of the stallion who mounts the world idea as we've been talking about various versions of horse symbols to describe green seer stuff. So Sleipnir is a great gray horse and Martin gives us Drogo's smoky horse and Danny's silver seahorse. Then we have um, uh, the idea of the ships as winged horses. Uh, we have just the raw concept of winged horses. Um, so there's, there's a lot of stuff you guys might have been thinking the stallion who mounts the world, right? 
That sounds like a horse that flies, doesn't it? And now to the extent that the Weirwood functions as an astral projection horse, like Yggdrasil does for Odin, it's obviously a horse that mounts the cosmos, mounts the world. So this is what Blood Raven is alluding to when he tells Bran that you will fly. That's the meaning of all of Bran's dreams of flying. His ultimate flight is, of course, through the Weirwoods. His very first coma dream, he's literally flying above the world and looking down at everything. So it's pretty straightforward with Bran there. Now, of course, the Weirwood, the tree horse, and the rider, the Green Seer, they are one. You know, the Green Seer mounts the cosmos by becoming the Weirwood, by slipping into its skin. So the Green Seer becomes part of the horse that mounts or rides the world. And this is one of the ways in which I believe that Azor Ahai's group of naughty Green Seers brought down the moon. I mean, it does start with them having some mechanism for affecting the course of celestial bodies, does it not? Some way to go up to the stars. Riding the astral projection horse could be part of it. And mounting the world seems like the right idea too, right? We saw a clue about this in Drogo's funeral pyre, which we've talked about the last several episodes. Danny perceives Drogo as seeming to mount a gray stallion made of smoke and fire and ash, which he rides up to the stars, at which time he exchanges the gray horse for his celestial mount, which is the red comet. And the Dothraki see the red comet as a fiery horse. So that's not one, but two horses, which seem to help Drogo mount the world. The gray stallion is a call out to sleep near and had tip to unchained for that great find all those years ago, and thus to astral travel. And then the column of smoke and ash that the gray horse is made of is, of course, expressing the ash tree and burning tree weirwood symbolism, and thus more astral travel. So are the weirwoods a way to ride the comet, as Drogo seems to do? We'll come back to this scene later in the podcast, but it seems as though something along these lines must be true. Uh, so now lest I confuse anyone too badly too early in the program let me say that it seems almost certain that the most direct fulfillment of the stallion who mounts prophecy will turn out to be danny riding drogon high above the world i'm certainly a believer in this so which is it right is the stallion who mounts a green seer mounting the weirwood meaning bran or blood raven or is it danny and drogon well think about it this way the original stallion who mounted the world was azor high breaking into and stealing the power of the Weirwoods. He's a dragon lord turned green seer, essentially. And our modern incarnations are showing us each one half of the picture, basically. Bran is the green seer, Danny's the dragon lord. They both have the fire of the gods in different forms. And I have a feeling that Martin is basically implying that their arcs will intersect at some key moment of high magic near the end of the story. So, Danny and Bran actually do have, as I put my phone on silence, um, parallel arcs in many ways. Actually, I'm not going to put my phone on silence. I'm just going to turn the ringer down. Bran is the Green Seer, Danny the Dragon Lord. You put those together and you can sort of see the see the picture. And I do think that Danny and Bran's arcs are headed for an intersection. Like I said, they do have parallel arcs in many ways. They're both separated from the rest of the story with Bran sojourning in the coldest outskirts, the lands of always winter, 
and Danny sojourning in the hottest, in the far east, in the red waste, Karth, places like that. And they're the two POV characters who are, of course, most heavily associated with magic. They're both classic fantasy tropes, with their arcs uh, clearly aimed at magical climaxes of some kind. And of course, many have noticed that Danny's House of the Undying Shade of the Evening experience has many parallels to Bran's Green Sea or Cave weirwood paste scenes. Danny and Bran are both a couple of young trippers, in other words. And most importantly, they're the two characters who consistently seem to think about flying in the sky and even touching heavenly bodies. Danny has already flown literally and Bran astrally. So one wonders if their powers might be combined for some key moment. Um, so today, basically, I'm going to lay out all the stallion who mounts symbolism as best I can. Then we'll have a little discussion session at the end to talk about what it might mean. And as always, leave your comments below and tell me what you think. So that's what we're doing today, folks. I hope uh, don't put your phone on silence or Euron will sail away with it. Smitty, that is a, that is a comment of the day right there. Uh, yeah, so Elisa Patience is piping in that there is a creature in Mongolian mythology called the Wind Horse. It's a symbol of the idea of well-being or good fortune. Hmm. Well, as we're going to see today, the stallion who mounts the world, it's a little bit ominous sounding. I think he might be more representative of bad fortune. But we shall see. We shall see. Thanks for that, Elisa. And, of course, Elisa Patience has a YouTube channel called Elisa Patience. Clever name, Elisa. It's always good to pick the most straightforward name that you can and then only have one name. That's the way to do it. So check out Elisa Patience's channel. Just getting started, but she has some really cool parallels. Uh, folklore, classic folklore, Cinderella and stuff like that. The oldest versions of these folktales too, not necessarily just the Disney version. And A Song of Ice and Fire. Highly recommend it. Oh, John videos coming out today, Elisa says. Cool. So we've got lots of material. Lots of material. Yeah, so, again, Drogon is definitely the stallion who mounts the world. Or we could say that Danny riding Drogon. But there's more to it than that. So, like I said, we have to think about the stallion who mounts as referring to both the general idea of a dragon green seer, like Azor High, as well as to an archetypal role which will be manifested by Danny and Bran. Danny and Drogon will be the most literal fulfillment of the Stallion Who Mounts prophecy, but we'll actually find tons of clues about Greenseer things that probably apply to Bran when we look at all Danny's scenes that in any way involve the Stallion Who Mounts ideas. We've already seen a ton of horse Greenseer symbolism in Danny's arc, of course. The silver seahorse stuff, which incorporates the idea of Sleipnir as a great gray stallion, as well as the ships as winged horses symbolism, and the stallion who mounts set of ideas will follow this pattern as well, showing us more stuff about green seers. Hey there, Elliot. I start my day with Howard Stern and Bill Burr, and it's always a gift when my favorite YouTuber starts streaming. Yes, sir. Uh, let me go ahead and move this over a little bit so I get that out of the out of the camera shot there. Okay, a little behind the scenes. Cool, cool. So originally, it was believed that the stallion who mounts would actually be Rago, right? Danny and Drogo's unborn child. And we already know that Rago is a vehicle for a ton of dragon greenseer symbolism, Azor High the greenseer symbolism. Uh, so the vision that Danny has of grown Rago, remember that one? He's consumed by fire and then ash. Literally, the, the line is consumed by ash. 
So, of course, this is invoking the dual symbolism of the weirwood as a burning, ashy tree, and also the weirwood as a stand-in for the ash tree Yggdrasil. So, consumed by ash, this is reborn through the weirwood's language. You guys have seen this many times. Barak is resurrected by fire, both in a weirwood cave and in a grove of ash trees. Just to give us a clue that Martin is using an ash tree as a symbol for the weirwoods. Danny hatches her dragons and is reborn, quote, covered in ash and, quote, amidst the ashes. And of course, Azor High, waiting to be reborn, is called an ember in the ashes by Melisandre. Danny named Rego after her brother Rhaegar, of course. And there are several instances of Rhaegar being said to be reborn from the ashes, of, of course. Rhaegar also has a ton of dragon green seer symbolism, if you recall. He dies on the green banks of the trident which is why danny names the green dragon after him and the thing is that after he dies on the green banks of the trident i.e in the green sea he's symbolically symbolically reborn as the people that danny names after him not only rego but also regal the green dragon who is more or less entirely fashioned of dragon green seer symbolism now i don't want to recap all of weird compendium six but the point is, baby Rego leads to all the green seer dragon symbolism of Regol and Regar, even before we consider the idea of a stallion who can mount the entire earth. When we think of Rego as emerging of the animal mascots of his parents, if you will, horse and dragon, that also says dragon green seer. Think of Blood Raven the dragon merging with the weirwood, which is his astral projection horse. All the stuff about Rego riding in the stallion who mounts prophecy that we're about to read think of a dragon riding a horse but the horse is a weirwood this is all about azor high the dragon mounting the weirwood net. and yes let your tree fucking jokes begin now so i like i said a moment ago we know that we now think rather that the stallion prophecy will be fulfilled by danny riding drogon and drogon just like rego is danny's child right so the idea here is that Danny is the mother of the stallion who mounts the world, the mother of Rego and Drogon. But Danny herself can also be the stallion because she becomes reborn in the funeral pyre, which we can see as her dying to give birth to a new self. She's the mother of herself, just as Odin sacrificed himself to himself. It's a little bit confusing, but it's metaphysics. You guys get the point. And it's the same for Drogo, actually. He would have been the father of Rego, the stallion who mounts. But when Drogo dies, he actually becomes the stallion himself. He seems to transcend death by riding stallions who mount the world by flying in space. There's the, the smoky gray stallion and the red comet as a fiery stallion. So both Drogo and Danny symbolically transform into the stallion who mounts when they die and resurrect. And even Ro even Rego, Ro Rogo, Rego seems to be burnt and consumed by ash in Danny's vision. So you can see that there's always a death and rebirth through the Weirwood's message with any incarnation of our dragon stallion who mounts the world. Carla Karsnag points out that there's over 260 watching. Do kindly mount the like and subscribe button with all the force of an impacting moon meteor. Well, that sounds very erotic. Thank you. Thank you for reminding everybody. Let's see here. So... In the last episode, 
I explained how the rhythmic beating of a shaman's drums, which enable the trance-like state, came to be thought of as the hoofbeats of an unseen horse, which the shaman rides into the spirit world, and that this is basically what's behind the idea of Odin riding Sleipnir, the eight-legged stallion, or Odin riding Yggdrasil like a horse by being hung upon it and by using it for astral projection. This is a really cool metaphor, and we saw that George is using this metaphor in several key weirwood scenes with the boom-doom drums, but we saved the best one for today because the invisible yet thundering shamanic horse makes a very strong appearance at the scene where the prophecy of the stallion who mounts is given, as you might expect. You've got two empty halves of coconuts and you're banging them together. It's a simple question of weight ratios, as we know. Uh, yes. So here's the setup for the scene, right? Daenerys is a moon maiden, and she has just eaten the bloody heart of a wild stallion as part of a Dothraki ritual that's meant to foretell the virility of her unborn child. The layer There are just layers of symbolism here, but the first one is classic, classic mythical astronomy guy, if it really is. Uh, it's a depiction of the moon, Danny, ingesting the Lightbringer Comet, the bloody heart, right before giving birth to a version of Azor High Reborn and his dragons, who would be Rego. So think about the horse heart as a symbol. We've seen that comets are bleeding stars and that meteors can be the hearts of fallen stars. So a bloody heart already works pretty well as a comet or a meteor symbol. But it's not just a heart, of course, it's the heart of a stallion. And we know that the Dothraki believe that the stars are fiery horses and that Danny equates the bleeding red comet with Drogo mounted on his fiery stallion. So a bloody stallion heart being eaten by a moon maiden works very well as a symbol of the moon ingesting a red lightbringer comet, if you will. And it's actually very similar to the scene from Weirwood Compendium 9, where we saw Arion Targaryen uh, telling Dunk to eat this and then hitting him with the bloody morning star. So Danny's ingesting a horse heart, a bleeding heart, you know, and Dunk who is the moon and the weirwood figure in that scene, is ingesting the morning star, which is described in all kinds of falling star and dragon language in the fight. So the other thing going on... Well, I see a super chat here. Let me grab this before I miss it. How does this archetype play into Bittersteel and his winged horse sigil, carving the face of Bloodraven and his tree sigil? Uh, ooh, that's a good one. Um, let me see. Yeah, okay, this is a good time to stop and get this. So I've explained this before. Um, the House Blackwood represents the Weirwood tree. Their, and their house is named after a tree. Their entire castle is built around this gigantic tree. Their Blood Raven is the Green Seer. So House Blackwood represents the tree. Um, house Bracken, their sigil is like a fiery horse. And Bittersteel, being a dragon seed, makes like a fiery dragon horse his sigil. So we've got this idea of the dragon riding the horse. And then we've got this this uh, house that represents the weirwood tree. And so the weirwood tree of House Blackwood is poisoned, right? And they it's it's dying. And they claim that uh, it was poisoned by the Brackens. And so this is a big clue about Azor Ahai's um, invading the weirwood net being an abomination and a corruption of the weirwood net, right? So you have this fiery dragon horse who, who essentially comes to the weirwood tree of Blackwood and poisons it. 
So that's the same idea as Azor High, a dragon riding a horse, mounting the weirwood net and corrupting the weirwood net. So the whole story is right there. And then as you point out, uh, Blood Raven's face is carved by Bittersteel in the sense that he loses his eye at Redgrass Field to Bittersteel. And so then you have the idea of the dragon horse, the invader, carving up the weirwood tree, carving up the face. Um, yeah, so pretty cool. Great symbolism there. And it all complements what we're talking about. And I love it when the super chats are on topic. And yes, by the way, notice my NASA shirt. We're flying into space. That's the idea. Actually started off with them um, in honor of Bootsy and his space base and his extraterrestrial brotherhood. I did start off today with a space hat. I switched it because it gets a little constricting after a minute, but we'll rock with it for a second. Rock with it for a second. All right. So the other thing going on here, Danny is a moon eating the comet, but she's also getting weirwood stigmata. And so she's like a weirwood tree taking the blood of the green seer. Um, so check out the weirwood stigmata. And you remember the weirwood stigmata, of course, is when somebody manifests all the symbolism of the weirwood tree, bloody hands, red smile or bloody mouth, um, burning or bloody hair, all that kind of stuff. So warm blood filled her mouth and ran down over her chin. And then it says her face smeared with the heart's blood that sometimes seemed to explode against her lips which of course is very good comet moon exploding language. Um, but heart's blood also speaks of, of course, a heart tree, which drinks blood. So she's got a bloody mouth. It's running down over her hands. It says her cheeks and fingers were sticky as she forced down the last of it. So Danny is a weirwood tree with blood red hands, like the blood red leaves of the weirwood tree that are like bloody hands. She's got the bloody mouth like the weirwood tree. And she's, she's drinking blood, <laughs> just like the weirwoods drink blood. So inside of this weirwood tree moon maiden symbol, of course, the prince is riding like a green seer inside the tree. And thank you, Minty, for your thank you super chat. Kalaka Dothre Mrana, she proclaimed in her best Dothraki. A prince rides inside me. She had practiced the phrase for days with her handmade jiqui. The oldest of the crones, a bent and shriveled stick of a woman with a single black eye, raised her arms on high. Kalaka Dothre, she shrieked. The prince is riding. Okay, so we've got a one-eyed seer, a seeress in this case, and that is a sure sign of Odin symbolism at play. Calling her a shriveled old stick of a woman makes us think of Blood Raven, who is a shriveled old stick of a man, and it makes us think of the idea of tree people, or you could even say wicker man uh, symbolism as well. So the prince is riding inside Danny. This is a great vis a visualization of the dragon green seer riding inside the weirwood tree, just like Blood Raven and Bran down in the weirwood cave, mounting their weirwood tree and flying over the world. So this is also a picture of the moon dragons waiting to be born inside the moon, right? Um, and it echoes a line from the Hedge Knight right before the Trial of Seven, where Dunk is looking for a seventh man for his side. And this is a line I held back from last week. Uh, oh, I do have star child glasses. Gosh, they're calling me out. Hang on a second. Call me out. Making me crotch shot the fandom. Who did that? Was that Smitty? That's fair, though. And yes, for joining us late, rest in peace, Chadwick Bozeman. Took a minute at the beginning to say that, uh, but I'll say it again. 
great human being, great individual, touched a lot of lives. We're seeing that today in the people speaking up. So we've got a heavy heart this morning, a little bit. Gosh, 2020 is like a heavy heart, isn't it? But let's not start with all that. So there we go. I roll start up. We're going to the stars. There we go. Thanks, guys. Helping me, helping me dress appropriately. Uh, so, okay. So like I said, Rago the prince is riding inside of Danny. And it's kind of like the dragons inside the moon waiting to be born. And it's kind of like the green seer inside the weirwood tree. So going back to that trial of seven from the hedge knight, Dunk is looking for a seventh man to join his side. He's only got six and he needs, he needs seven. And it says, Dunk left them. Dunk left them there feeling as relieved as he was guilty. We are still one man short, he thought, as Egg held thunder for him. Where will I find another man? As Egg held thunder. Well, that's pretty nice. Astronomy-wise, the moon egg held the thunderous dragon meteors, just as Danny gives birth to dragons whose eggs crack like thunder. But of course, the thunder that young Egg Targaryen is holding is actually a horse, which is just like Danny as a moon figure holding the stallion who mounts, a prince who is riding the world like a horse. Now, Dunk does find a seventh man, of course, and that seventh man turns out to be a green seer dragon symbol who looks a lot like he hatched from a moon egg. And, of course, I'm talking about Baylor Targaryen here, who's dressed in all-black dragon armor and is riding a horse. <laughs> so we've got a dragon riding a horse, just like Rego's symbolism, and just like Drogo... Uh, uh, just like Drogon, rather, being considered the stallion who mounts. You'll even recall Dunk telling a dying Baylor uh, to <laughs> rise with the command up, just as he had told Thunder in the melee. Um, so, yeah. Rise like Thunder, O oh, Azor Ahai. Pretty cool stuff. And Egg Held Thunder. Always loved that one. Uh, anyways, so this back to the scene in Vase Dothrak with the stallion who mounts prophecy. He is riding... The other woman answered, Rock, 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 Hodge, they proclaimed. A boy, a boy, a strong boy. Bells rang, a sudden clangor of bronze birds, a deep-throated warhorn sounding its long, low note. Wait, hold on. Hold everything here. A deep-throated warhorn? That's exactly the sort of thing that could wake the sleepers inside the moon. They should really be careful with it. Now, I'm kidding, of course, but as I alluded to, horns could be a part of messing with the stars, if you will, and just have to put that idea to the side for now. But those bells, they sound like bronze birds. And bronze birds sound like meteors, right? They're flying metal objects that make noise. Now, my, my pal Lady Evelay of the Blue Winter Roses blog thinks that the gold, silver, and bronze bells worn in the Dothraki's night black hair probably represents stars. And that makes a lot of sense to me, right? They're sort of glittery, tinkly things, and and the Dothraki hair is consistently night black, so it's pretty much a night sky. And if you think about Drogo as a solar king, um, his face is like the sun, his hair is like the, the dark sky, and then you got stars in his hair. That kind of all makes sense, right? So, the paragraph continues. The old women began to chant. Underneath their painted leather vests, their withered dugs swayed back and forth, shiny with oil and sweat. The eunuchs who served them threw bundles of dried grass into a great bronze brazier. Uh, brazier, that's different. 
and clouds of fragrant smoke rose up toward the moon and the stars. The Dothraki believed the stars were horses made of fire, a great herd that galloped across the sky by night. So a herd galloping across the sky sounds a lot like the Wild Hunt, or at least the version of the Wild Hunt, which is seen as being in the sky. And that is, of course, where Santa Claus and the reindeer comes from. That's, that's, uh, that's just Odin leading the Wild Hunt, the Horned Lord leading the Wild Hunt in the sky. And of course, two of <clears throat> Santa's reindeer are named, uh, three of them rather, are named, uh, one's named Comet, and then of course Dunder and Blitzen are just German and Dutch words for lightning and thunder. So there you go. He's got comets, lightning, and thunder in his celestial wild hunt. That's Santa. And I'll refer you to um, Sacred Order of Green Zombies 1, 2, and 3 for all the Santa Green Man lore. I went, I went deep on that one. So if you like that, check that out. Now, the Dothraki, like I said, they see the stars as a procession of horses flying through the sky. So this definitely makes us think of the astral projection horse ideas, right? This is the one that the prince is riding. He's <laughs> so you it's all coming together here. We definitely notice the all important symbol of the rising smoke column here too. So that represents the burning ash tree, which is the weirwood, and it's rising up to the moon and stars. Just as at Drogo's funeral pyre where the column of smoke and ash became a horse that he rode up to the stars. So Martin is showing us that the weirwood, which can be pictured as a column of smoke and ash, or a gray horse, can convey the rider to the stars. And he's showing us that this becomes possible because of the sacrifice of Nissa Nissa, right? At Drogo's pyre, Danny walks into the fire and does the Nissa Nissa sacrifice thing. And here, she is symbolically sacrificing herself by gaining the weirwood stigmata, and then by immersing herself in the black pond, which we're going to talk about in a second. So returning to the one-eyed crone, giving the stallion who mounts prophecy, notice how the chanting really drives home the shamanic vibe of this whole ceremony. Horse sacrifice was a very common occurrence among shamans in Northeast Asia, which is where the specific word shaman originates. It's from the Tungus people, to be specific. So it says, as the smoke ascended, the chanting died away, and the ancient crone closed her single eye, the better to peer into the future. So that's very consistent with the concept of Odin's sacrifice of his eye, cutting off physical sight in order to gain third eyesight. Now, peering into the future is specifically what the runes are about. They even give Odin the power to alter the future. And the Well of Erd, where, where Odin sees the runes, is also where the three Norns weave the fates of mankind. And the crones here definitely might be a version of the Norns. Um, so it says, the silence that fell was complete. Danny could hear the distant call of nightbirds, the hiss and crackle of the torches, the gentle lapping of water from the lake. The Dothraki stared at her with eyes of night waiting. So the lapping of the lake is a really nice inclusion because it gives us the watery element of the well. And remember that in Norse mythology, the word well really means like spring. It's the water itself. It's not the actual stone well. So a pond, a lake, a spring, it can all be a well. And this is important because the well in the night fort is not only dark, um, I'm sorry, the well in the night fort, which we've talked about a few times, the one <clears throat> where the weirwood tree is trying to pull the moon down into the well, the well where Sam and Bran, you know, go through the black gate. 
Um, it's not the only bottomless body of water which is meant to parallel the idea of a Norse well, such as Mimir or Erd. The other ones, which are both black bodies of water, which are said to be bottomless, would be the cold black pond under the heart tree in the Winterfell Godswood and the womb of the world, whose cool black waters we can hear lapping in the sea. And of course, there's also the Black River in Blood Raven's Cave. And I'd even give honorable mention to the pool of deadly liquid that Arya serves people from in the House of Black and White when they're ready to set their burdens down because the House of Black and White is nothing but a giant inside the weirwood net symbol. <clears throat> so we've got these bottomless black bodies of water. They're meant to represent this cosmic well, if you will. And we can hear it lapping in the background, which is really cool. So we've got the green seer, not the, I'm sorry. So we've got the one-eyed Cirrus giving a prophecy. We've got the idea of the stallion who mounts the world. Danny's getting the weirwood stigmata. And we can hear the lapping of the water in the background. And we're going to, again, she's going to go to that pond in just a second and do some more symbolism. So picking up right where we left off, here comes the important part. It says, finally, the crone opened her eye and lifted her arms. I have seen his face and heard the thunder of his hooves, she proclaimed in a thin, wavery voice. The thunder of his hooves, the others chorused. So we have a one-eyed seer in a trance. She's hearing the thunder of hooves, where there are no horses. <laughs> so this is the shamanic horse, the astral projection horse. Then again, this is the one the prince, who symbolizes Azor High Reborn, is riding. And guys, I just want to emphasize, Baby Rago is is the first is an Azor High Reborn symbol because he is Danny's child, just like Drogon just like Danny herself. And he is the stallion. So that's telling us Azor Ahai Reborn is the stallion, or Azor Ahai, the original, was a stallion who mounts the world. He's someone who rode the weirwoods. So here's the next part of the quote. As swift as the wind he rides, and behind him his kalasar covers the earth, men without number, with aurochs shining in their hands like blades of razor grass. Fierce as a storm this prince will be. His enemies will tremble before him, and their wives will weep tears of blood and rend their flesh in grief. The bells in his hair will sing his coming, and the milkmen in their stone tents will fear his name. The old woman trembled and looked at Danny almost as if she were afraid. The prince is riding, and he shall be the stallion who mounts the world. So fierce as a storm he will be, and like the wind he will ride. Well, here we're starting to think of things like the storm god, or the storm lords, you know, uh, the Baratheon storm lords and Durned and storm kings of Westeros with all their horned lord and green man and hammer of the water symbolism. There's the gray king myth of the storm god's thunderbolt, which sets a tree ablaze. And that's especially important because the burning tree represents the weirwood tree, which is a horse that a green seer can mount to fly over the world. So Rego is inviting, uh, invoking all this storm stuff. And that's how this makes sense, because, again, it's the storm god's thunderbolt, which set the weirwood ablaze. That's a meteor symbol. So the other implication of the prince riding like a storm is that, again, he's a summoner of moon meteors. The storm god's thunderbolt is probably a moon meteor, and all of Robert's hammer symbolism seems to point to moon meteors as an explanation for the hammer of the waters. Danny is the stormborn, and, of course, her death and rebirth is accompanied by a firestorm with both events symbolizing the explosion of the moon to make moon meteor dragons. 
We know one of the symbolic motifs George likes to use for the moon meteors is the storm of swords. And that sounds a lot like what the Cirrus is talking about when she speaks of the Kalasar of this thunderous stallion who mounts the world, covering the earth with shining aurochs, with shining blades. That's the storm of swords, right? So the aurochs are like cur- are the curved blades specifically. So this invokes the lunar crescent symbol. And the notion of shining aurochs covering the world, well, that's starting to sound like a bunch of pieces of moon crescent covering the world, right? So, and when Danny hatches the dragons, the first egg cracked open, and it says, a chunk of curved rock, pale and veined with gold, broken and smoking, landed at her feet. So just to give you an example of George using a crescent-shaped thing to symbolize a moon meteor. It's literally a piece of the stone egg from which the dragons hatched. So you guys got that. Setting aside the curved part, shining blades... It's a pretty basic moon meteor symbol, even as it is. And they're covering the world when the prince rides. So on top of that, the Dothraki, again, believe the stars are a fiery kalasar in the sky. So a kalasar that covers the earth with shining blades really sounds a lot like a storm of falling stars, which the Dothraki would perceive as a fiery host of ancestors basically riding out of the, riding out of the sky and down to the earth in fury and terror covering the world with their shining blades and making everyone tremble. So there's, there's the meaning of the prophecy, ultimately, right there. It's, it's moon meteor talk, of course. So that's pretty good stuff, right? Pretty fun, pretty fun prophetic, symbolic mojo there. So this is all starting to come together in a pretty interesting way. The stallion who mounts seems to be Azor High Reborn. The stallion who mounts is foretold to bring down what sounds like a moon meteor storm. And we've long believed that Azor Ahai called down the moon meteor shower the first time around. We've long believed that Azor Ahai mounts the world by using the Weirbunet. And that seems to be the implication of surrounding the stallion who mounts the world prophecy with all this Greenseer symbolism. Then in one sense, when Martin talks about a stallion who can mount the world, he's talking about Weirwood trees and the Greenseer who uses them to fly. And I see John Isais piping up asking... Isn't Danny going into the pyre a symbol for Azor Ahai entering the Weirbunet coming out with dragons? Not Nissa Nissa. Um, well, so look, the cool thing about Drogo and Danny is they're both doing Nissa Nissa and Azor Ahai stuff. There, there's a lot of gender flopping going on. So we can definitely see Drogo as the sun because it's his fire that Danny the moon wanders into. So that's very straightforward. Danny is the moon wandering into the fire of the sun, then hatches the dragons. Um, but of course, Danny is also Azor High Reborn, and specifically she becomes Azor High Reborn during this ritual. Um, but I've also pointed out that Azor High Reborn could just as easily be considered Nissa Nissa Reborn, because really this is all a metaphor for two parents creating a child, which is half of each, each parent. Like the whole idea with the moon meteors, is, uh, the moon dragons, is that they drank the fire of the sun and that's why the dragons breathe fire. So they hatched from the moon, but they drank the sun's fire, and now they're moon dragons that breathe fire. So that's the whole idea. Um, hey, look, I've got a Quinn's Ideas sighting. Hey, Quinn's Ideas. So let's see, where was I? So yes, Danny is playing the role of Nissa Nissa and the moon, but she's also becoming a Zora High Reborn as well. And there's, there's some... 
some you know insertion flip around language like Danny takes the torch and inserts it into the pyre, uh, kind of like the comet stabbing the moon and kind of like you know taking the male role. She rides Drogo, of course, even in that sex scene, right? It's normally Drogo on top, but then she flips it around and she rides Drogo. Somebody jokingly asked me for analysis on that, but it is part of the general uh, gender swap, role swap things that do go on there. But that's not really super important uh, to what we're doing here. Think about Danny as playing the role of the moon. When she becomes reborn, she becomes the moon meteor, basically. And the moon meteor, that's, that's what Azor High Reborn cor- correlates to. Like, if you want to think about it this way, Azor High is the sun, Nissa Nissa is the moon. But Azor High Reborn or Nissa Nissa Reborn, is just the child of both, which which are the moon meteor dragons. So Danny is becoming Azor High Reborn. All right, so good question. A little confusing, but, uh, you know, it's metaphysical symbolism. It's not totally straightforward. So So like I said, we've always believed Azor High called down the moon meteors. But when we look at the stallion who mounts prophecy, he sounds like he's calling down moon meteors. Like I said, if the stars bleed and fall out of the sky... The Dothraki would see that as their ancestors riding their fiery Kalasar down to Earth. <clears throat> and this all happens when the, dra- the child of Danny the dragon becomes the stallion who mounts the world. And so this sounds like it's talking about Azor Ahai becoming a green seer and calling down moon meteors. So this form of Azor Ahai reborn, who rides the world like a stallion and brings with him this thundering herd of bleeding stars is basically, this is the horned lord riding the astral projection horse. And there's a big clue about this coming all the way back in Westeros from A Storm of Swords. It's the familiar passage where John is doing his astronomy review, talking about how he knows the 12 houses of heaven, which are the Zodiac, and how he recognizes constellations such as the Ice Dragon, the Shadow Cat, the Moon Maid, and the Sword of the Morning, which, of course, are where I got all the names for my... um. Uh, uh, one of my tiers of patrons. So, yeah, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So we get this curious line. It says, We look up at the same stars and see such different things. The king's crown was the cradle, to hear her tell it. The stallion was the horned lord. The red wanderer the septons preached was sacred to their smith up here was called the thief. And when the thief was in the moon maid, that was a propitious time for a man to steal a woman, Ygritte insisted. So wait, that was interesting, right? The stallion is the Horned Lord. Well, that makes perfect sense. The stallion who mounts the world is a green seer, a horned, a green man, a horned lord. He's Azor High, who's the ultimate horned lord. He's got the dragon horn and the green seer horn symbolism. So the stallion is the horned lord. This is also the same fellow, by the way, who is a thieving red wanderer, a stealer of moon maidens. So this is great. When it says... The Red Wanderer is in the Moon Maiden. They're talking about Mars, the Red Star, appearing to be inside a constellation called the Moon Maiden. But that's just a depiction of the Red Comet as the Red Star impregnating the Moon, if you will. So when that happens, that is when the Stallion is the Horned Lord. Okay, So it's pretty nice stuff here. And there's a similar quote to this one. Um, which we also mentioned in the Scarecrow section of the Green Zombie series. And it says, The west had gone the color of a blood bruise, but the sky above was cobalt blue, deepening to purple, and the stars were coming out. John sat between two merlins with only a scarecrow for company, 
and watched the stallion gallop up the sky? Or was it the horned lord? So the sky is bruised, it's beaten up, and the stars are coming out. They give the stars coming out of the sky. And then John, the king of winter, sits with his scarecrow brothers, pretend, uh, preparing for a last battle type of fight. And there's the horned lord galloping up the sky like a celestial stallion mounting the world. And you'll notice that it's galloping up the sky. That means it's rising. It's flying upwards into space like Nessa. So now think of Drogo and the fact that Daenerys perceives the red comet as Drogo mounted on his fiery steed, galloping up the sky and riding into the Nightlands. Reborn Drogo is, of course, a manifestation of Azor High Reborn. He's riding and, you know, Drogo is a solar king. He's compared, if you will, to Aegon the Conqueror. He's Danny's son. And when he's resurrected on this fiery horse, first the smoke horse and then the red comet, he's galloping again, galloping up the sky. He's riding into the Nightlands. So Azor High Reborn is riding a horse into space. He's riding a fiery horse into space, whereupon he's seen to mount the red comet as his fiery steed. And this takes place when the moon wanders too close to the fire of the sun, and when it gives birth to dragons, just like Danny declares that a prince is riding inside of her after reenacting the moon eating the comet with her horse heart, uh, with her horse heart ritual. So in case you haven't noticed, we're sneaking up on the answer here to how a magician might provoke a moon disaster. They need to use the power of the weirwoodness. After all, right after Drogo mounts his smoky stallion in the pyre, we get the first moon destruction symbol. Check this out. This is We've read this quote before, but it's going to look different now. Now, she thought, now. And for an instant, she glimpsed Cal Drogo before her, mounted on his smoky stallion, a flaming lash in his hand. He smiled, and the whip snaked down at the pyre, hissing. She heard a crack the sound of shattering stone. The platform of wood and brush and grass began to shift and collapse in upon itself. Bits of burning wood slid down at her, and Danny was showered with ash and cinders. So as Danny is covered in ash, implying her as a dying Nissanissa, entering the sacred ash tree, we see that the fiery spirit Drogo literally hops... Um, we see, sorry, that the fiery spirit Drogo literally hops onto the gray horse and then promptly cracks the first dragon egg open with his very comet-like fiery lash. So this is really a clear picture here. Azor High going through a death transformation. He's mounting the weirwood net and then using, using the weirwood net to steer the comet into the moon. His fiery lash is the comet. The smoky stallion is the weirwood. So he's mounting the weirwood and then he's whipping at the comet or whipping at the moon with the comet. And this same thing was just implied by the stallion who mounts, covering the world in moon meteor-like shining aurochs. He's using the weirwood net to bring down the moon meteors. And again, this is just like the Hammer of the Waters myth supposedly being the work of the green seers. You have green seers who are potentially antlered stagmen like King Robert, the horned god, calling down the Hammer of the Waters, calling down the herd of fiery horses. It's all the same stuff. Um, and then, of course, we can also think back to Dunk, mounted on his thunder horse, 
and thinking about how his lance is his long wooden finger. And he's going to use that long wooden finger to touch the dragons on Arion's shield, which symbolize the moon dragons. And of course, Dunk does touch the dragons. And when he does, he basically brings them crashing down on his head and he gets all the green seer symbolism, he gets one eye, you know, covered and all that stuff. So here we go one more time. Let's go back to Bran at the Knife Fort. Outside the wind was sending armies of dead leaves marching across the courtyards to scratch faintly at the doors and windows. The sounds made him think of old Nan's stories. He could almost hear the ghostly sentinels calling to each other atop the wall and winding their ghostly war horns. So there's horns again. Pale moonlight slanted down through the hole in the dome, painting the branches of the weirwood as they strained up toward the roof. It looked as if they were trying to catch the moon and drag it down into the well. So, read this quote many times, but notice how, how it's a nice parallel to Danny's scene now. We've got the horn calls, we've got the weirwood reaching up, pulling down the moon. So, pretty good stuff. Praying to the old gods might have been part of it, and that's what Bran does. He prays to the old gods, and horns might have been part of it. And you can hear the ghostly horns being winded here. So, very cool. And then, also, there's Asha's Wayward Bride chapter, possibly my very favorite chapter of A Song of Ice and Fire. It's full of moon drowning ideas. There's like six different moon drowning metaphors. And then we get this passage. Asha was not ready to die. Not here. Not yet. A living man can find the sea more easily than a dead one. Let the wolves keep their gloomy woods. We are making for the ships. She wondered who was in command of her foes. If it were me, I would take the strand and put our longships to the torch before attacking Deepwood. The wolves would not find that easy, though, not without longships of their own. Asha never beached more than half her ships. The other stood safely off to sea with orders to raise sail and make for Sea Dragon Point if the Northmen took the strand. Hagen, blow your horn and make the forest shake. <laughs> Triss, don some mail. It's time you tried out that sweet sword of yours. When she saw how pale he was, she pinched his cheek. Splash some blood upon the moon with me, and I promise you a kiss for every kill. All right, so they're trying to find the sea by running through the woods mm. and by blowing a horn that makes the forest shake and by splashing blood on the moon and whipping out a shining sword. There's even talk of Sea Dragon Point, a place dedicated to green seer dragon symbolism. And there's also talk of burning ships, which are symbols of the weirwoods as burning trees that sail the green sea in the river of time. This is, of course, also the chapter where the branches of the threatening trees of the wolf's wood scratched at the face of the moon, and Asha, the weirwood bride, wayward bride, weirwood bride, is almost killed by a lightning-like blow while she's pinned against a tree and tangled in its roots. So you got the whole picture there. Weirwood bride sacrifice, blood on the moon, drowning the moon, the trees reaching up for the moon. Good stuff. And there is the horn making the trees shake. So jumping back to Danny's chapter in Base Dothrak again, we see the idea of drowning the moon is also depicted there. Right after the crone gives the stallion who mounts prophecy, they proceed to the womb of the world where this happens. They rode to the lake the Dothraki called the womb of the world, surrounded by a fringe of reeds, its water still and calm. A thousand thousand years ago, Jeekly told her, the first man had emerged from its depths, riding upon the back of the first horse. The procession waited on the grassy shore as Danny stripped and let her soiled clothing fall to the ground. Naked, she stepped gingerly into the water. 
Erie said the lake had no bottom, but Danny felt soft mud squishing between her toes as she pushed through the tall reeds. The moon floated on the still black waters, shattering and reforming as her ripples washed over it. Goose pimples rose on her pale skin as the coldness crept up her thighs and kissed her lower lips. The stallion's blood had dried on her hands and around her mouth. So she still has the weirwood stigmata. The stallion is riding, and the moon is shattering and drowning in the supposedly bottomless lake, just as Danny the Moon Maiden is immersing herself in the bottomless lake. So as a mirror image, the moon drowns, Danny the Moon Maiden submerses and comes back out. The moon is reforming. That echoes Danny re-emerging from the lake. And thus we can see that once again, the weirwood stallion is implied as a way to reach, shatter, and drown the moon. Because, like I said, the stallion is riding, Danny gets the weirwood stigmata, and that's when the moon drowns. Again, it's just like the night fort scene with the weirwood tree trying to drown the moon in the well when Bran prays to the old gods. So it's not just the moon drowning. It's not just the stallion riding. It's all of it happening together consistently, scene after scene. That's what's telling us that mounting the weirwood stallion is the way to drown the moon, to shatter the moon, to make Azor High become reborn, to call down the shining Arx and the fiery herd from the sky. So... There you go. I'm at a section break now, so I will stop and check out the chat and check my email, check out the super chats coming in or the PayPal donations, rather. Got one from Wes. During the Wait for Wins, are there any fantasy series you'd recommend? Have you ever tried the first Law series by Joe Abercrombie? Probably the best fantasy I've ever read aside from Song of Ice and Fire. So I must confess that I used to read other fantasy and I've only been I've only managed to read a few other new fantasy books since I really started doing a song of ice and fire. I I kind of uh, I work two jobs, you know, or at least I have up until recently. So I just never have had a time uh, to really read a whole lot of other stuff. I do need to branch out, though. Um, it's been a hot minute. So um, other series I'd recommend. Let me think about that. It's really a better uh, Quinn's ideas channel. He's got the... Everyone's telling me not to check the chat. Wow, the chat looks fine. Let's see here. I, I like um, Scott Lynch's uh, Lies of Locke Lamore series. That's a pretty good one. Definitely recommend that. And uh, I'm waiting for Rothfuss's next book. I like Rothfuss. He's cool, but I'm not one to give you, like, recommendations that you haven't heard of. Um, I'm, I'm actually more, like, looking for recommendations, really, on stuff that has a lot of symbolism in it. The next series I need to read really is Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, uh, Thorn, because it it does have a lot of symbolism. I am not a Sanderson fan. Sorry, guys. I tried to read Stormlight. I read the new Stormlight book and had to stop like a few chapters in. I just can't take it. It's too boring and heavy-handed. I, I really feel like he spoon-feeds the reader everything, and I can't stand it. Um, yeah. Not gritty enough either. Sorry. I do like Sanderson's writing podcast, but I ironically don't really like his is writing that much uh yeah it's a funny thing so um oh marley who sent in a super chat earlier just became a patron thanks marley that's awesome and i've also got yeah another uh, paypal from marley gosh i must be pleasing you with all this weird stuff thank you Mara. appreciate it
What is your view on the horns in the final John chapter? Torn blows two in the shield hall. Uh, then just before he stabbed, John thinks, I need a horn. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Well, of course, that's full of um, Ice Moon Apocalypse language with the giant smashing things um, and John's dreams and stuff like that. So, yeah, three horn blasts, you know, to call the others. The dragon binder is blown three times at the King's Moot. That's another clue about the dragon horn calling the long night and triggering the apocalypse. So that's cool that that's echoed in John's dance chapters. All of John's dance chapters are kind of foreshadowing endgame disaster, new long night stuff. So very cool. There's another recommendation. Elizabeth Hayden and the Symphony of Ages series, especially the first three books. It even has dragons. Yeah, um, so the bottomless lake, there's no direct, obviously, connection to the Weirwood Caves, but the symbol of the black body of water that has no bottom is what's important. Again, the Weirwood Pond in the... Uh, the pond in front of the weirwood tree in, at Winterfell, the uh, this the womb of the world, um, Blood Raven's cave, the Black River. There, these are all scenes that have to do with, you know, death and rebirth stuff, and specifically weirwood transformation stuff. So, um, for example, okay, so here's one. I just said that I just showed you how the moon shatters and reforms in the womb of the world, and Danny is a bloody moon maiden immersing herself in the womb of the world and coming back out. So this black pond is a symbol of, you know, the astral realm, if you will, the place where you can go, uh, the bardo, I guess is probably the right word for it. You die, you go into the black water, and you come out and are reborn. Um, now, these are all moon symbols. The moon is drowning. Danny is a moon maiden drowning and being reborn. If we look at the black pond in the Winterfell Godswood, well, what goes into the pond there? It's all Moon Maiden and Meteor symbols. So the first thing is Ned's bloody sword, his black Valerian steel dragon sword named Ice. It's the best comet symbol there is. It's a dragon sword named Ice, and comets look like dragons, but they're made of frozen rock and, 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 and stuff. So that gets dipped into the Black Pond when it gets covered in blood. So it becomes the bloody red Ice Sword. That's when it gets dipped into the pond and comes back out and cleaned. And the cleaning is an act of renewal. Ned is cleansing himself while he does this. So it's very similar to the idea of the moon drowning in the Dothraki womb of the world. Danny being reborn, coming back out, cleansing herself. Same idea. Then we have um, John's dream of Ygritte. Him and Ygritte are swimming in the Black Pond. And Ygritte, who is obviously a Nissa Nissa figure, dissolves into blood and bone in the Black Pond and turns it to blood. That is the same thing as the moon drowning or Danny entering the womb of the world all bloody. And of course, blood and bone is more weirwood stigmata language. So it's a very tight parallel with Ygritte melting in the weirwood pond and Danny going into the womb of the world. So it's all the same stuff here. No, not young Griff, Ygritte. Her name is not Fagon. So to touch the moon with a comet, guys... Oh, I just missed a super chat. Let me get that first. You should read Berserk. Lots of symbolism. One of the uh, most perfect dreamscape symbolism I've seen for trauma. Uh, it's the manga equivalent to Song of Ice and Fire in How Long It Takes. Oh, in How Long He Takes the Author. Okay, cool. I'll check that out. I'll ask Quinn about it. He'll probably know. He will probably know. So to touch the moon with a comet, like I said, you need to be able to steer the comet into the moon. You've got to be able to touch the comet first. So in A Clash of Kings, Danny and her small Kalisar 
is wandering in the red waste and they're following the red comet. She's musing that she should perhaps wear her hair in a braid like the cows do to remind them that Drogo's strength lives within me now, indicating that Danny, just like I was saying, is a moon maiden who has received the fire of the sun and is now transformed into Azor High Reborn. When it says the moon meteors drank the fire of the sun, Danny's hat says that Drogo's strength lives within inside her. Within inside. It lives inside her, within her. So it's the, it's the fire of the sun being dragged up by the moon. This produces the merged Azor High Reborn person. So then we get this quote Across the tent, Regal unfolded green wings to flap and flutter a foot before thumping to the carpet. Half a foot. Uh, start over. Across the tent, Regal unfolded green wings to flap and flutter half a half to flutter a half foot before thumping to the carpet. So he's trying to fly. He's trying to fly. Not very. Not very fine. Not very far. So it says when he landed, his tail lashed back and forth in, in fury, and he raised his head and screamed. If I had wings, I would want to fly too. Danny thought. The Targaryens of old had ridden upon dragonback when they went to war. She tried to imagine what it would feel like to straddle a dragon's neck and soar high into the air. It would be like standing high on a mountaintop, only better. The whole world would be spread out below. If I flew high enough, I could even see the Seven Kingdoms and reach up and touch the comet. So, you can see how well Rhaegal, the green dragon, works as a symbol now. He shows us that a dragon person, a green seer dragon, can use green seer magic to fly up and touch comets. So once again, I'll remind you that it was Regal's egg, which hatched with a crack as loud and sharp as thunder. Just like the thunderous boom-doom shamanic drums we've seen in all those scenes from the last episode. And just like the thunderous hooves of the stallion who mounts. Regal, the thunderous green dragon, makes Danny want to mount the world and reach up into the stars. Because Regal's symbolic purpose is to tell us all about dragons using green seer magic to fly. Now is probably the right time to point out that when Danny rides Drogon at the end of A Dance with Dragons, when they become the stallion who mounts the world together, she thinks about touching the moon. Pay attention to the wording, which makes it sound as though she is walking with the clouds and above the clouds. Memories walked with her, clouds seen from above, horses small as ants thundering through the grass, a silver moon almost close enough to touch, rivers running bright and blue below, glimmering in the sun. Will I ever see such sights again? On Drogon's back, she felt whole. Up in the sky, the woes of this world could not touch her. How could she abandon that? So did you, uh, did you catch the cloud walking? It said, memories walked with her, clouds seen from above. It's like the clouds are walking with her, which implies Danny as skywalking. Indeed, Danny is physically walking through the green grass sea at this moment, but she's seeing all these memories of flight in her mind's eye. So she's having dreams of flying in the green sea, in other words. It's really great how Martin slips in the thunderous horses, too, while Danny recalls flying up so high that she could almost touch the moon, just to be consistent and continue his interweaving of Sleipnir, flying horse symbolism, and dragon symbolism. George wants us to know that, yes, Danny is actually flying on her dragon, but that's not really how you touch moons and comets. That is done through the weirwood thunder horse that is the weirwood tree. Now, just to reinforce the idea of Danny touching the moon, 
we get this rather poetic line later in the chapter, which says, Once I dreamt of flying, she thought, and now, I, now that I've flown, I dream of stealing eggs. Because she's thinking how hungry she is. So, <laughs> flying and stealing eggs. Who would do such a thing? Well, the stallion who mounts the world, of course, flying into space to steal the moon dragons by cracking open the moon egg. Very cool. Love that line. So, as Danny walks with her memories of dragon riding, her thoughts turn to the flight from Daznak's pit, which is a scene that symbolizes the landing of a moon meteor, which would be Drogon, of course. And the fact that Danny takes flight from this spot of blood, fire, and carnage makes this a mirror of Drogo appearing to take flight from his funeral pyre on his own, on, on his own world-mounting stallion. So here are the highlights. Danny loses her veils and her tokar, which is a clue about the moon losing its covering or its crust. And then there's two references to Danny wearing rags or looking like a ragged thing. Then as she recalls looking down at some of the people engulfed by Drogon's black flame at Daznak's pit, we see the fiery dancers, which signify the rebirth of Azor High as a tree sorcerer that we've seen so many times. And that's uh, from the earlier in the Weirwood Compendium, of course. It says, below, she saw men whirling, wreathed in flame, hands up in the air as if caught in the throes of some mad dance. So that's really cool, right? These are the fiery dancers. We've seen them like eight different times. In, um, in Drogo's pyre, she sees fiery dancers that remind her of the dancers at their wedding. We've seen the fiery dancers pop out of burning weirwood. I mean, it was like six different scenes. So I outlined them all, both in um, Grey King and the Sea Dragon, as well as in A Grove of Ash. So hopefully you remember that. So then it says, north they flew beyond the river. Drogon gliding on torn and tattered wings through clouds that whipped by like the banners of some ghostly army. Now, this seems like foreshadowing for sure, right? Danny is flying north to find a ghostly army. That's pretty easy to identify as foreshadowing for her going north to fight the others. Of course, going beyond the river works well as a metaphor for going beyond death, as well as just a metaphor for going north of the wall, because the wall is like a frozen river. And it's also signals the end of the lands of the living. So this really does seem like foreshadowing of Danny's endgame. And of course, that's something that needs to happen for Danny and Bran's plots to intersect. If Danny has to fly north to the heart of winter, do something in the north, well, that's she could need Bran's help. This would be a good excuse for them to team up. And the other um the other way it could be is on the Isle of Faces, since there's foreshadowing of Bran going to the Isle of Faces and of dragons going to the Isle of Faces. So there are some really great clues, guys, about Drogon being the stallion who mounts in this chapter, and they all come with green seer symbolism. Um, before I get into them, my cockatoo is just screaming its head off, so let me go and calm it down for half a quick second. Guys, welcome to the Queen's Ideas YouTube channel, and here on Queen's Ideas, as usual, we cover the mythical astronomy of ice and fire. All right, and so today we're going to talk about uh, moon meteors and meteors from the moon and dragon comets and stuff. You oh. can't even leave a stream on pause around these parts of that. Oh so God! Yahoo, jumping in. I've been, I've been caught. I've been. I've, I've, been <laughs> I've been found out. Oh God! No, don't stay there for a second. Okay. I'll stay here. How you doing this morning, Quinn? Pretty good. I've been reading your perverted chat. 
um, this morning. Oh, is, um, is that why people told me not to read the chat earlier? Maybe. I, I like, glanced, and I saw, like, some... <laughs> you know, what I've been doing is throwing out innuendo and just moving on rapidly, so I'm sure that they are... Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're talking a lot of insertion and oh, mounting, okay. you so know. It's, it's your fault, so oh, yeah. you've been stirring them up, you've been yeah. leading them to this. It's always my fault, bro. <laughs> yeah, so how, how's everyone going with the stream? How's everyone enjoying the stream? Talk about the style and the mounts world here. What's been the topic? I haven't been like totally tuned into it. And they told me a little bit about it yesterday. Dune moons, moon dooms. Some of you might know about the dune stuff that's going on, right? Warner Brothers taking down my videos and stuff. Yeah, Warner Brothers took down my like videos discussing uh, the trailer. No, uh, no, uh, uh, sir, you can't talk about that. Oh, no, <laughs> copyrighted. Now this video's taken down the stream. Now took down the stream. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get my duct tape. <laughs> okay. There you go, chat. Run with the duct tape jokes. Feel free. Have at it. All right. The quality of my interlude intermission breaks is going up thanks to uh, our roommate situation. This is good. <coughs> Woo! All right, so we're talking about Drogon as the stallion who mounts the world. We've covered Rago, we've covered the prophecy, and now we're talking about Drogon. Drogon is, like I said, the actual stallion who mounts the world in the most sort of direct literal fulfillment of the prophecy sense. So, of course, Danny writing Drogon has to have all the same green seer stallion who mounts the world symbolism, or else I'm a crackpot who, who's, like, trying to force things together where they're not really together. The I always, you know, feel like my body of work is convincing because of the extensive correlations. It's not, the, not just that we notice a horse symbol and a moon symbol, and I'm like, look, it's a green seer cracking the moon. It's that we see it in five, six different scenes with all the same symbols parallel. So Stallion Who Mounts the World is going to show us all the same stuff that all the other Green Seer Dragon set of symbols has, as I said at the top. So there's some really great clues about Drogon being the Stallion Who Mounts in this last Danny chapter, and they all come with Green Seer symbolism. So Danny learns that Drogon has built a lair in a rocky bluff rising from the Dothraki Sea. And this reminds Danny of her favorite rocky bluff that rises from the narrow sea. And so she names it Dragonstone. It says that the air smelled of ash. Every rock and tree in sight was burned and blackened. Right, that, that's cool. So the black dragon's island in the green sea is a monument to weirwood symbols. We've got burning trees and ash in the air. So this is mirrored in the line about Danny glimpsing, quote, places where the grass was burned and ashen. Drogon has come this way before, she realized. Like a chain of gray islands, the marks of his hunting dotted the green grass sea. It's sending the same message, basically. The stallion who mounts the world is a black dragon who makes his home in the green sea, inside the Weirwoods. And that's why all the places that Drogon has made his home have the ash and burning tree symbolism. Very cool. And they're also islands in the green sea. So this is a really skillful example of Martin weaving all the different metaphors together to show us what he's talking about. Uh, let's see here. So Drogon's stallion status is further reinforced by the bowing grass, which is a motif that appears three times in rapid succession. So first, as Danny is growing famished, sick, and delirious off those green berries that she ate, 
It says this, If I stay here, I will die. I may be dying now. Would the horse god of the Dothraki part the grass and claim her for his starry Kalasar so she might ride the Nightlands with Khal Drogo? In Westeros, the dead of House Targaryen were given to the flames, but who would light her pyre here? My flesh will feed the wolves and carrion crows, she thought sadly, and worms will burrow through my womb. So the Dothraki horse god parts the grass and carries Danny to the Nightlands. This role, of course, was played at the alchemical wedding by Drogo's smoky stallion in the bonfire, which carries Drogo up to the Red Comet. Shortly after Danny has this thought about her death and the horse guard parting the grass, actually, no, and before I go on, let's point out some of the, something else that I missed. So look at all the symbols that are here, okay? The, I, the, there's three things that will happen to Danny when she dies in her imagination. It might be that the Dothraki horse guard parts the grass and carries her up to the stars. That's a pretty clear metaphor for astral projection, and it bounces off Drogo's funeral pyre. And she thinks about riding the Nightlands with Khal Drogo. But in Westeros, the Targaryens are burned. So that is more straightforward. She, Danny is like the weirwood tree, literally burned, set on fire, turned to ash. Um, then she thinks about maybe her flesh will feed the wolves and carrion crows, and worms will bur burrow through her womb. But of course, the weirwood roots that burrow through Blood Raven's body are described as worms and grave worms. So this is all green seer talk, basically. These three imagined hypothetical deaths that she's thinking about. And I see a super chat here. I will come back to it. That is a good question. So I'm going to put a pin in that one. Um, so the Dothraki horse god, like I said, parting the grass. So right after this happens, the grass starts acting really funny. And specifically, it's swaying mysteriously without wind. And it reminds us of the rustling of the weirwood leaves that constitutes green seer communication. The wind, she told herself, the wind shakes the stalks and makes them sway. Only no wind was blowing. The sun was overhead, the world still and hot. Midges swarmed in the air and a dragonfly floated over the stream, darting here and there. And the grass was moving when it had no cause to move. So compare that to this line, which comes from one of Theon's chapters in Winterfell in A Dance with Dragons. It's actually the line that comes right after the Boom Doom drums make it sound like distant thunder was coming from the black air of the godswood. It says, the night was windless, the snow drifting straight down out of a cold black sky, yet the leaves of the tree were rustling his name. Theon, they seemed to whisper, Theon. So the rustling leaves, the thunder in the godswood announced the coming of Bran, the lightning struck green seer, and the grass here in Danny's chapter is announcing the coming of the Dothraki riding a horse, who is given a very grand entrance. It says, from the corner of her eye, Danny saw the grass move again off to her right. The grass swayed and bowed low as if before a king, but no king appeared to her. So no king appeared, it's just a rider. But then the grass bows low a third time and we can see the pattern. It says, the dragon was a mile off and yet the scout stood frozen until his stallion began to wicker in fear. Then he woke as if from a dream, wheeled his mount above and uh, about, and raced off through the tall grass at a gallop. Danny watched him go. When the sound of his hooves had faded away to silence, she began to shout. She called until her voice was hoarse. <laughs> and Drogon came, snorting plumes of smoke. The grass bowed down before him. Danny leapt onto his back. She stank of blood and sweat and fear, but none of that mattered. To go forward, I must go back, she said. 
Her bare legs tightened around the dragon's neck. She kicked him, and Drogon threw himself into the sky. So three things make the grass bow low in succession. First, it's the Dothraki horse god. Then it's a dreaming rider who stands frozen into place. And then finally, it's Drogon, the stallion who mounts the world. And again, I would say that these are all meant to tell us a story about flying horses and dragons. The horse god is tied to the gray stallion and the red comet. And then we have the dreaming rider to parallel the gray stallion and King Drogon to parallel the red comet. The chapter closes with Drogon picking off one of the horses in the herd for Drogon to roast. Because as, da- as Danny notes, as swift as they were, they could not fly. No, of course not. Never heard of a flying horse. That's silly. Now, Drogon sets the horse ablaze, which then leads to a horse which is still running even as it burns. So we have, like, all the symbolism. It's a horse with wings who's on fire and galloping. Then, just to make it even better, Drogon lands on the horse and breaks its back. But that's really just a slightly comical way of literally depicting a dragon riding a horse. As Danny rides Drogon, the stallion. And Danny's voice is getting hoarse. I mean, it's just... I don't know. I find this shit funny. I don't know what to say. I think it's pretty funny. So would you believe there's actually a well in this chapter, too? Yes, it's true. While walking through the grass back towards the Skahazadun River and Marine, Danny comes across the ruins of a low stone wall, a well, and the remnants of eight huts. That's interesting because you'll remember that at the Nightfort Kitchens, it was an octagon-shaped room with eight hearths around the well where the moon was trying or the tree was trying to pull the moon down. So here we have a well surrounded by eight huts and there's a stone wall. Now we hadn't talked about Sleipnir last time we went to the scene, so I didn't say anything about the number eight. But we can see here that all these eights might be a reference to Sleipnir. I definitely think they are. And I also think Martin's idea about ice spiders overlaps here since spiders are eight legged, but I don't want to get off on that right now. So at the night fort we found a weirwood reaching for the moon by um and then by this uh by this well we find Daenerys dreaming of flying it says she dreamed all her cares fell away from her and all her pains as well and she seemed to float upwards into the sky she was flying once again spinning laughing dancing as the stars wheeled around her and whispered secrets in her ear so picture the stars wheeling around Danny that makes Danny the cosmic axis. And that makes sense because a cosmic world tree is that's what it represents, the cosmic axis. This is the thing around which the heavens appear to turn from the earth. And Danny is supposed to represent the weirwood tree. She's receiving the wisdom of the cosmos here, the starry whisperings, the starry wisdom. And this is happening as she flies in her dreams by a well. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. It's, it's very Odin-like. It's very Green Seer-like. And this is the scene, if you recall, where she wakes up and finds the ants biting her and says that, hey, this little stone wall that the ants climbed over to get her, well, it must seem like the wall of Westeros to them. And then Danny proceeds to do what? She wakes up. She brushes them off. She Taylor Swift. She shakes them off. She brushes them off. And then she proceeds to crush them with enthusiasm. And this reads like an easy foreshadowing of her inevitable conflict with the others, of course. And best of all, 
She recalls uh, Viserys telling her tales of, quote, nights so poor they had to sleep beneath the ancient hedges that grew along the byways of the Seven Kingdoms. And Danny compares, you know, Danny basically thinks that she would have given much and more for a nice thick hedge to sleep under. So she wants to sleep under a hedge, under a, 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 tr- a small tree here while she's dreaming by the well, thinking about flying. So, sleeping under trees, dreaming of flying. Where have we heard that before? Hmm, yes. Ah, it's more Greenseer talk. So, you can see, as you can see, it's Bran and Danny who fly, right? Danny thinks about flying, touching the comet, touching the moon. She's flying in her dreams. She's walking amongst the clouds. And I think that compares very well to Bran and all of his talk about flying. And if you remember, we, we looked at some of the Bran horseback riding quotes last time. And there was one where he said, uh, I can ride, Bran shouted. It felt almost as good as flying. And it's smooth as silk. And the, 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 the horse is called Dancer, too. So you think of Danny whirling and flying and dancing amongst the stars here. It really is. Strong overlap between Danny and Bran. Um, uh, Quinn would like it to be known that Mariah Carey's version of Shake It Off is superior to Taylor Swift's version. Well, I would imagine so. She's a little more talented, isn't she? Oh, Sir Tamard Long points out that being attacked by ants is cool because Danny's being attacked by a hive mind. And the others definitely seem like a hive mind type of thing. And, um, oh, Elisa, don't, Elisa, don't get your. Don't get, don't get your back up. Taylor's, look, Taylor Swift can be a very good musician and still not be as talented as Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey is one of the most talented singers of all time. So there's a lot of room in the uh, not quite as good as Mariah Carey window uh, for, for Taylor Swift to comfortably exist and be and be quite good. I actually don't hate Taylor. I, I'm okay with Taylor. She's, she's all right. So she tries. She tries. And uh, her politics are pretty good, too. Anyways, uh, I don't know where, where, where we are now, but um, like I said, Danny and Bran are the ones who are tripping out. They're they're drinking the weirwood, uh, drinking the shade of the evening. They're eating the weirwood paste. They're having these visions. They're thinking about flying. So, what does this mean, guys? I think I think there's two things we can take away from all the symbolism, right? Uh, I think that yeah, she can be your hero, Elisa. That's fine. The thing is that when a hero comes along, you find the strength to come to carry on <laughs> and you finally see the truth that the hero lies in you. So you're your own hero says Mariah Carey. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, this stream is crashed into the ground. <laughs> I think it's elevated. actually. Elevated. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's elevated. We're getting higher. This content is superior to the previous content. Quinn says, all right. <laughs> So what does it all mean? Like I said, I think this means, first of all, obviously, like as I've been saying all the episode, the original Azor High was a green seer, and this is how he broke the moon. There's something about the weirwood magic which enables one to steer comets. Um, again, you think of Bran climbing the tower at Winterfell, and he's riding the gargoyle when he when he sort of he swings down and hangs from the gargoyle's neck by his legs and then overhears Jamie and Cersei. So he's both hanging upside down from the stone tree of Winterfell like Odin, 
but he's also riding the gargoyle, which is like riding the comet. If you remember Bran's dream, the gargoyles come alive with fiery eyes. They're stone monsters with fiery eyes. And Bran looks up and he sees the gargoyles coming down from the moon, literally silhouetted against the moon at the top of the tower and then coming down and attacking him. So the gargoyles are unquestionably fiery dragon meteor symbols. And Bran is riding one as he's climbing the tower too tall, too high to get symbolically struck by lightning and thrown down. So I definitely think that Azor High climbed the Weirwood Tree, if you will, to ride the comet somehow, to steer the comet into the moon. Oh, that <laughs> I finally got Raven Salix to drop into a live stream. Ravenous Reader, back out of retirement. I don't know if this has been a time zone or a boycott or what, but it is nice to finally get you back here. I was singing your song. Uh, a ravenous Reader, frequent contributor to Mythical Astronomy, has been on Team Brand, should f- Astro Brand, I guess that's what we should call it, forever, which basically just means that Bran is going to somehow ride the comet or skin change the comet. That's the way that you can think about riding the comet. Um, and she's even pointed out that in Bran's, in Bran's vision, his coma dream vision, he's flying over Winterfell, and Maester Lewin is looking at the stars in his little mirrorish lens and then looks at Bran. And the thing is that we saw Maester Lewin looking at the red comet through his mirrorish lens, so it's almost like Bran is the comet and Maester Lewin is looking up at him. Um, that's how Ravenous Reader was interpreting that one. But uh, I did miss a super chat, so let me let me go back here. There's one from Anarion Targaryen. Uh, Do you think warging into dragons makes people dragons? Bloodstone Emperor was a dragon eating people and Tiger Wife. Love your content. Take care. Well, I do think that warging into dragons could be part of this too, right? Um, if you're thinking about ways that Bran and Danny are going to come together, maybe Bran warging a dragon is part of that. Maybe if uh, he'll help steal a dragon back from Euron. You know what I mean? If Euron steals a dragon with his horn, maybe Bran can skin change it and undo that. Or if the others steal a dragon, Bran might be able to skin change that. Who knows? Uh, or maybe somebody falls off a dragon. There's a bunch of scenarios where skin changing a dragon could happen. And it's also speculatory, but it could be that the dragon bond, the original Great Empire of the Dawn experiments that created the blood of the dragon, had had to do with green seer magic. Because we've been seeing clues that the Great Empire of the Dawn people, the Bloodstone Emperor, who is Azor High, wants to gain the weirwood magic. Um, so... Maybe the dragon bond is a mutated form of the skin changer bond, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it could be, it could be. But I, I really think that skin changing the comet is where this is at. Like, we need to steer a comet. That's what we need to do. Uh, and so it could be that Brand riding a dragon is actually Brand skin changing a comet. Not really skin changing a comet. Again, it's sort of a manner of speaking, sort of steering the comet, riding it. Let me go ahead and pop back over to the old PayPal inbox. Oh, so many donations. Thank you, my peoples. My peoples. Got one from June. No question, just a donation. Thank you, June. Got one from Keaton. Happy early 420. Thank you, Keaton. I've got... I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Uh, one from Catlin. Join the stream. Thank you, Catelyn. From Linda. Happy housewarming. Oh, thank you, Linda. Cool. So I think I'm up to date there. 
Let me know if I missed any questions. Henbot. I did not see one from you, Henbot. Are you talking about a super chat or a PayPal? I did not see a super chat from you. Oh, there it is. There it is. Okay. Everyone calm down. What if Bran is the stallion and John and Danny will be his horses? Uh, or his riders, I think you mean. Uh, and that could, I mean, there's a lot of ways to put together the metaphor, right? So if Bran is uh, the green seer and he's attached to the weirwood tree, you could see either John or Danny using that power as as riding. No, I don't. This is sounding too sexual now. Brand's a child. Let's leave him out of this. Do you want to? Do you want to get a word in here, Edgewise? Oh no, I just I kind of want to sit on the couch. You just want to sit on the couch and get your get your knee in the frame. That's Sorry. cool. That works. All right. Well, so the the thing to think about is like the stallion who mounts the world is a merging of two things, right? Like the whole point of the idea of the sun and moon coming together it makes Azor High Reborn. It's the green seer going into the tree that creates this burning tree that's, that has the fire of the gods. Um, the stallion who mounts the world seems like Danny riding Drogon. It's not just Drogon flying around. It's Danny riding Drogon high above the world. So the idea that we're going to see Danny and Bran come together as to, to fulfill this prophecy of mounting the world makes a lot of sense to me. So, yeah. Quinn can't appear on camera because um, because of Warner Brothers. He's being censored right now. You're, you're in the censorship cube. Yeah, right? they own my face. Sorry. That's right. They own your face. You can't show it. They'll take down my stream if you show your face on my stream. I'm not a snake. I'm a pickle. Is that a Pickle Rick reference? I don't, I don't even know what that is. Hey, Pickle Rick! So I am going to wrap this up shortly. We're at one hour and 40 minutes. I am basically, we've got a little bit of time to discuss what the hell this means how the Danny Brand thing comes into it. So feel free to pipe in with questions or comments along those lines. And we'll kick the topic around for a hot second before we head on out of here. Um, I don't think Brand is going to warg Danny or John. I, that removes Danny or John's agency and their important characters. You can't really do that, I don't think. So we could see Brand help John like get back into his body, though. Something like that. That would make sense. Yeah, I'll also, t- also accept more uh, mounting jokes if you guys have those. Yeah, well, working into a dragon would be hard. Not only are they intelligent and therefore capable of resisting like men, humans are. Uh, the dragon is fire made flesh. And there are several scenes where um, Bran or John is sort of kicked out of their wolves and the sensation is compared to burning. So when Summer is injured and Bran tries to reach out and skin change Summer, he's, he compares it to like touching a hot stove and he pulls right back. So... The idea is that being driven out of an animal is kind of like a fiery event. And you think of uh, Vermeer, uh, or Rel rather, getting burnt out of his eagle by Melisandre. Um, so I definitely think that skin changing a, a creature of fire is, would be very difficult. It might even be suicidal. It could be a sacrificial act that Bran does to, to skin change a dragon. Well, I don't know. Or maybe, maybe John will be able to do it because he's a skin changer. He'll be resurrected by fire. I, I don't know. Um, the most tinfoil of all the possibilities here is to see Danny do something with the weirdness. Uh, because, of course, the original Nissa Nissa, as I've been banging on about forever, was a child of the forest. She's an elf woman. She's a cat woman. She's a green woman. She's a weirwood bride. There's so many ways in which Nissa Nissa is implied as a, a weirwood woman, a tree woman. So Danny is the most important Nissa Nissa character in the story, but she's obviously 
not a green seer, right? Danny couldn't be a green seer. Oh, that's right. Wait a minute. She's half Blackwood. In fact, Danny has as much Blackwood blood as Blood Raven does, who's half Targaryen and half Blackwood. That's right, because Black Beth of Blackwood and Egg Targaryen married, and their kids had incest and preserved the exact same genetic makeup all the way down to Rhaegar and Danny. So the Dane blood is on the Targaryen side. Danny is fucking half Blackwood, y'all. So it's actually not crazy that George decided to put Blackwood blood into the Targaryen bloodline right before Danny and John and Rhaegar because Danny has latent green seer abilities. It's it's crazy. I admit that it is crazy, but it is not that crazy. It's it's uh, far fetched, but not impossible. Or it could be more realistic. Would be that Danny isn't actually doesn't have green seer magic, but through interacting with Bran and perhaps John, she will magically interact with the weirwood trees in some way, and that will show us symbolically Nissa Nissa sacrificing herself to cleanse the weirwood net. Something along those lines. We've talked about how the whites are are slaves to the others, and how Danny's pattern of freeing slaves all through her arc could be leading up to her freeing the whites. Because if she kills the others with her dragons, that should, theoretically should liberate the whites. Um, so this the, the the others' power is connected to the weirwood trees. I've speculated maybe in the heart of winter we could find a frozen grove of weirwood trees. Maybe burning those trees down is part of defeating the others uh, or something along those lines. Cleanse. It could even just be a cleansing type of thing. Maybe Danny becoming whited and becoming Night's Queenified uh, is going to connect her to the Weirwoods. So there's a few ways that could work, isn't there? Henbot, back at it with another super chat. I like your surprised cat icon, by the way. What I was musing about was rooted with Bran seeing um, the world dream. And then John seeing John dead, but Bran takes over his body and then becomes king through faking John, and Danny becomes ally to John, but actually Bran. Again, no, that that to me wouldn't work because you're taking away John's agency and John's character is not even there anymore. Um, I could see Bran doing something with John's body only in a very temporary fashion. Like if the others were to steal John's body, maybe Bran steals it back. Maybe Bran is the one who can break that link between the others and John's corpse so that John's spirit can be transferred from ghost back into his body. That makes a lot of sense, actually, because if you think about cold hands, we, there's obviously a way in which a cold white can be like set free or cleansed or something like that. So who, who could do that? I mean, only a green seer. So that, that, that could work. That would be a, a very similar to what you're suggesting. It's just that John has to get his body back because again, John is the central character and he needs his own agency. So you couldn't have Bran posing as John for an extended period of time. That that wouldn't work. Does that make sense, Henbot? Raven Salix, what are you kicking here? Be having fun with this uh, Astro Bran episode? Well, because George couldn't remove his agency because John is an important character. And you can't take an important character and end their plot by having someone else steal their body and they just disappear and don't do anything. That's not. I mean, John, John, Danny, and Bran are the three main characters more than anybody else. And they, so I, yeah, there's no way you can remove the agency of, of any of them for any extended period of time, just from a writing point of view. 
That is what I would say. Oh, we got another PayPal coming in. 420, thank you. Appreciate that. You guys are coming through today. Appreciate that. Making me so thankful. And uh, like I said, I'm super busy right now, but I've missed you guys. It's been a couple weeks. Um, I am still working on the Euron video. I was hoping to have it out before all this hectic stuff came on. I didn't get it finished. I'm only, I'm only like a fifth of the way into it, in fact. So I'm going to get back on the Euron stuff come the uh, first or second of next month. And I'll get that out in like, you know, the first the first week, let's call it, of next month. I'll have uh, Euron, King of the Apocalypse out. And then after that, Euron, Night King. Night King Crow's Eye, I think I called that one. So Ooh, I'm getting hungry, too. So, yeah, last call for questions. And then I'm going to, me and Quinn are going to grab some lunch. Oh, yeah. Let me ride. What's up, Edward? Swing down, sweet chariot, stop and let me ride. Of course, that is uh, originally Parliament, sampled by Dr. Dre. Good stuff right there. Swing down, I want to ride. That's my favorite backup singer. The really, like, gravelly, low-pitched guy. That guy's great. There you go. That's where you find the Patreon link to support the program. You can find my stuff at LuciferMeansLifeBringer.com. Of course, don't forget to visit Quinn's Ideas. And don't forget to check out our entire winds of winter predictions playlist which we are going to come back to once we're set up and comfortable again it will happen yes bootsy collins that's the idea this is this is the bootsy hat the star glasses bootsy is an interterrestrial funketeer so that is the theme here we got you got the nasa shirt the interplanetary functionship because we're flying to the stars on the stein who mounts the world do you also like how this picture of Drogo looks, uh, Drogon looks like a tree, kind of? I was hoping some of you guys would catch that drift. I know Ravenous Reader caught it. In any case, thanks for coming, guys. There you go. We're in Compendium 10, Stallion Who Mounts. And uh, if I do come back to the Weirwood Compendium, it'll be for that Horns episode, so I can show you how the Horns are also a part of all this as well. I don't know if that'll even be Weirwood Compendium, though. It'll probably just be its own thing. Kurt Bonimar coming in with a Last minute. Thank you, Super Chat. Thanks, buddy. Oh, nice. Nice instrument. Is that a... Gosh. French horn? Is that French horn? It's got a lot of windings there. So, yeah. It's been fun, guys. Everyone click like. Leave a comment on your way out. Tell me how you think all this uh, symbolism is going to work out. How are Danny and Bran going to mount the world and fly and get into space? Tell me how that's going to work, guys. What do you think? pretty fun stuff to leave you with so i'm looking for some good comments you guys there you go thank you guys we're compendium 10 i will see you soon with euron king of the apocalypse